Would anyone actually care if your business disappeared? On this episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast, we're going to talk about making a difference with John Mackey, founder and CEO of Whole Foods. Hello and welcome to the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and I am talking today with John Mackey. He is the co-founder and CEO of Whole Foods. He is the author with Raj Sisodia of a new book called Conscious Capitalism. So John, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Thanks for having me on, John. So I've been in business a long time and I think there was a period of time in, in my last 25 years or so where the words conscious and capitalism would have been seen as sort of an oxymoron uh, together. Uh, uh, first off, is that has that been your experience? And if so, you know, what's really changed to the point where, where people like you are writing books about this now? Uh, I mean, I think, you know, like consciousness is always on a continuum. So it's not like we're either conscious or unconscious. We are all hopefully a little more conscious today than we were a few years ago, and hopefully we'll be more conscious a few years from now than we are today. Um, a, a lot of business is done with the principles that we talk about in the book, but they're done unconsciously. It's just good business practices. We think by making a lot of these good business practices more conscious, it'll it'll help business. Business has such a bad reputation in the world um, that the enemies of business uh, have basically been able to brand it as selfish and greedy and exploitative, and it only cares about money. And corporations are often seen as sort of sociopaths running around, uh, running amok, need to be controlled. Uh, so business, though, of course, we think is a great value creator. It's, uh, I mean, 200 years ago, 85% of the people alive lived on less than $1 a day. Today, that's down to 16%. The average lifespan was only 30. Today, it's 68 across the world, 78 in the United States, and 82, almost 82 in Japan. And the literacy rates were once over 90% 200 years ago. Now they're down to about 14% across the world. So and I think this is largely due to capitalism. It's largely due to businesses' great progress that we've made. And, of course, business doesn't get credit for it. So we think that we can change the narrative. We hope we can change the narrative about business. And it starts with helping the practitioners of business to start thinking about what they're doing to become more conscious. Yeah, and I, I guess that's really what I was saying was that there was uh, capitalism had such a, a sort of evil uh, rap that, that that using it in the terms of some consciousness as you know in a good way, <laughs> putting those two together, I think is something that people you're right don't necessarily think about. Uh, there's a line that I've heard you say, um, and it may actually be a direct quote from the book too. But uh, the essence of business is basically. Uh, is is basically based on voluntary exchange for mutual benefit. And I think that's a great starting point for thinking about what it is we're doing owning a business. Yeah, well, that's what fundamentally makes business ethical. It's not based on coercion. Um, business is the great value creator, not for a few. A business is not a zero-sum game where someone wins and somebody else loses. That might be true for sports. It might be true for elections, but it's not true for business. In business... You create value for it's all done voluntarily uh, for exchange, a voluntary exchange for mutual benefit, and a, a good business, a business like Whole Foods Market, it creates value for its customers who aren't forced to trade but have competitive alternatives down the street generally, um, and they do so because 
they like your combination of quality, service, ambiance, price, etc. You create value, business creates value for its employees, it provides jobs, it provides benefits, it provides opportunities to learn and grow and, and hopefully get promoted and to uh, gain in responsibility over time. It creates value for suppliers. Everybody that trades with a business is, I mean, Whole Foods has about 100,000 suppliers, so we are we, we're creating value for all of them that trade with us. And it creates value for its investors. If it's successful, it, it takes their capital and multiplies it. And it, creates, and it creates value for the communities that we're part of, partly philanthropic, partly uh, all the good things it does for the rest of those stakeholders, and partly because it's it creates the prosperity and the taxes that uh, makes government go around as well. So it's a great value creator in that, and it's done ethically through voluntary exchange. Unfortunately, business is often judged by its very worst actors, the, the Bernie Madoffs and the Enrons and the WorldComs, the Wall Street banks. Uh, people get the idea that, that business is uh, uh, to be judged by its very worst actors is odd. We don't do that for the rest of it. We don't do that with doctors. Yeah. We, don't do it with, we don't do it with journalists. We don't do it with architects or engineers or any of the other professions. But business is, is frequently uh, attacked for the crimes of its worst practitioners. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's funny, though. I mean, I, I, I do think there's partly a mindset that you talk about that everybody really needs to win in, the, in that sort of community, or you call them stakeholders, because I do think that there was a time when people looked at business as, you know, the customer's always right, and everything else is serving that. And, and so does that mean beat up the vendors to get a lower price? Does that make your employees, you know, work themselves to the bone? And I think that, that ultimately what people are finding long term is, is that, you know, you get out of balance that way and, and nothing's really going to work. And I, and I think that that uh, I'm very, very encouraged by the fact that more and more people are talking about purpose and they're talking about you know what we stand for and that, and that everybody has to win. And I think that that's that's the frame of mind that's changing maybe the conversation about what it means to own a business. Yeah. And that's why we've written our book to try to further that conversation. So a lot of my. Uh, listeners are small business owners, uh, you know, maybe by working by themselves, you know, 10, 12, 15 employees. And I think that this idea of, of purpose or, or understanding what you stand for and, and, and passion, you know, has really crept into the, the conversation now about business. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, particularly for the small business owner, the line between where their business ends and where their life starts is, is either non-existent or, or extremely thin. And so this idea of, of having a, a, a going to work every day for something that you believe in, uh, I, I think is becoming more and more prevalent. But um, if, if I'm out there listening or, or certainly reading the book, you know, let's, I've talked to thousands of business owners. It seems to be one of the hardest things for them to, to nail or to understand or, to, or to, to become very conscious about, you know, what is my higher purpose? Do you have any thoughts on, on how somebody actually goes about discovering that? Well, oftentimes the, uh, the entrepreneur or the founder or creator of a business has sort of a, they may not have made it conscious yet, but they oftentimes are motivated by uh, a higher purpose there's a difference they're trying to make in the world, some type of passion they have, some type of vision that they have about the way they could contribute uh, a, a business that will make a difference. Uh, and fr frankly, if they don't have that 
if they're just some other, just a me too kind of business, they, they very well may not be successful over the long term. So asking that question, why does the world need our business? What difference are we making? Would the, anybody care if we disappeared? Um, are good questions to ask. And a good way to find purpose, if, you, if, you're, if you're doing what we call a purpose search, would be to bring together uh, your stakeholders or representative, representatives from your stakeholders, bring together some of your customers, some of your employees, some of your suppliers, and some of your owners or your investors. And together, talk about why the business should exist, what difference it's making in the world. And together, the stakeholders can, they'll all see a different part of the elephant, so to speak. But if you, if you, if they're together and they share their, their different perspectives, over time, if it's done skillfully, in a day or two, generally, that higher purpose will begin to emerge. If not, really could emerge very quickly. But I, we found that the power of getting the whole system in the room is, is, is can be pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I've discovered that too. I think a lot of times business owners go out there and they just do what they see other people doing. They get up, they go to work, they do their, and they don't really think about this idea of purpose. But when they start thinking about it and when they start, as you say, asking stakeholders, a lot of times they're they're working on a higher purpose. They're they're just not embracing it. They're not communicating it. It's there, you know, but yeah. it hasn't found them a lot of times. And I think that's or, I think that's or it's found true. them, but they haven't because they haven't made it conscious and explicit yep. to the rest of the organization. They have that passion, but it, they may not be communicating it to their employees, and as a result, the business is sub-optimizing. Sub, uh, it's not reaching its fullest potential. So I think it's important that everybody in the organization understand really what the business is trying to accomplish, what difference it's trying to make in the world. That'll help align your employees and all your other stakeholders together, uh, and it'll, it'll help the, the business optimize itself. Well, I love that question. It's a painful one probably for some people to acknowledge, but what you just talked about a minute ago, the, you know, would anybody, would it matter if we weren't around tomorrow? Um, uh, boy, I think that's a, that can be a gut-wrenching question. Yeah, it is an important question to ask. Who would care if we disappeared? And if the answer is really no one, then, then you, I would rethink the business. Yeah. I mean, think about Whole Foods Market. I mean, ultimately, when you get right down to it, we're grocers. And that's about as mundane a business as there is out there. And yet our business ripples with, with meaning and purpose because we've been able to, to, to conceptualize ourselves as, as now trying to help heal America. I mean, we've got a situation where 69% of the population is overweight, 36% are obese, and fully 80% of what we spend on health care costs in America come for diseases like heart disease, stroke, diabetes, uh, cancer, autoimmune diseases, that correlate very closely with diet and uh, lifestyle. So by framing it up in such a way that we're trying to make a difference in people's lives and help them to be to be healthier and to live longer and avoid diseases, that creates a meaning and direction for everybody in the organization. And I think that's a, that, that helps people to be more creative, more innovative, to care more. Uh, of course, it has to be an authentic purpose. You just can't make it up. It has to be something that really resonates with people or it won't be effective. Well, and I think one of the ways to really measure that, and there are a handful of companies, uh, Whole Foods certainly is on that list, that that you can see it in every element of the business. It's not just on a plaque somewhere. It's it's in the people. It's uh, it's in the yeah. customers. I mean, I you know I'm yeah. a Whole Foods shopper, and I, you've, I'm sure you've heard this before. It's you 
say we're at our essence we're a grocer but uh, it's kind of a joyful experience to go to a whole foods <laughs> shop because the people that are certainly that work there the products and 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 you know the the food that you're able to acquire but but just even the uh, the seemingly attitudes of the people that are shopping there i mean it's just a different experience it is and i i do think that in a way gets back to not merely purpose but the type of way we manage the business, the way we, way we organize it, what our culture is, because culture is very important to create a, a, a conscious business. You can't just take that for granted. You, you talk a great deal in the book about the, the, the role of the leader uh, in this kind of business, because obviously I, I think that you know maybe the purpose or passion starts there, but then obviously you've got to be able to create that in other people. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people who are inspired by their idea uh, sometimes struggle with is is creating commitment in others. And uh, what, what's some of your advice for, if, if I don't see myself, and I hear this all the time, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm an idea person, I'm not a people person, and I have trouble sometimes inspiring or, or getting other people to commit to that. What are, what's some of your thoughts about you know, how you become this conscious leader as well? Well, you have to grow as a leader. Um, if you're not a conscious leader, then you won't have a conscious organization. It really does start with the leader. It starts with the CEO. It starts with the owner of the company. And I know in my experience at Whole Foods Market that uh, my own failings and lack of consciousness in the past really held the company back. It wasn't until I was able to grow as a human being, as a leader, as a person, that the company also was able to grow along with me. So there's two possibilities, either grow or maybe you're not the right leader because ultimately the organization can only go as far as the leader uh, allows it to go. What are you saying? You can't outsource this? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot outsource <laughs> leadership. Well, um, what you can do, of course, is you can, you can bring people in that uh, compliment you. You don't, you don't have to be Superman. I mean, one of the, my talents as a leader, in a way, is, is knowing what I'm not very good at. There's some things I'm very good at and other things I'm not very good at. And I've tended to surround myself with people that, that in a sense, cover for my weaknesses with their own strengths. I really do believe in the team. And... Uh, I think a big part of Whole Foods' success is that uh, I've been able to attract and empower really talented people who are more talented than me in these a lot of crucial areas. So part of it's just having that self-awareness to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. Well, it's interesting because as I listen to you describe that, it sounds like a form of personal growth. <laughs> in itself. It, is a, yeah. it is a form of personal growth. Just asking those questions yeah. and being more self-aware is a type of personal growth, and it enables other growth to occur as you make that, as you come to those realizations. You talk about the role of, of um, mentors and coaches and role models. Uh, uh, you want to, obviously, I think you you believe in that as a very strong leadership uh, growth tool uh, you want to talk about some of the the maybe the the coaches mentors role models that uh, that maybe helped you sure uh, well I think for me the the one that helped me the most was my actually my father uh, because I, when I was in school I didn't take any business classes and I started the business when I was very young and with really virtually no experience in business and no actual business courses and um, of course, I did educate myself. I read hundreds of business books, actually, over you know over the 34 years since I started the business, and I learned a lot. I also made mistakes and learned from them, but probably wouldn't have been. I, I might have wrecked the business in my foolish youth 
except for my father, who was my mentor in business. He, he had been an accounting professor at Rice, Rice University in Houston and for 19 years, and then he went out, hired by one of his clients, and went into 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 business himself as a practitioner. Ended up being a CEO of a public company uh, before he retired, and he from about 1978 to 1994, so that's a 16-year period, um, he, I, I really let him guide me and, and uh, very seldom went against what he thought was best. And it wasn't until I got to be about 40 that I realized, I, of course, by that time, Whole Foods had gone public, and it was in 1994, and he and I were beginning to have a lot of conflict and a lot of arguments about the direction of the business. He wanted us to be very, play it very safe. I understood later that was because he was older and he now had a lot of his net worth tied up in the business and he was more concerned about holding on to it rather than losing it, so he didn't want to take the risk. But I was younger and I really wanted to grow the business. So I ended up um, asking him to, the, told him the mentorship was over. I, I asked him to step down from the board of directors and told him that I was going to grow the business and, and if he didn't like that or thought it was too risky, he should sell most of his stock, which is what he did. He just stepped down from the board and he sold a great deal of his stock. And the good news there is we were able to repair our relationship and I could still use him for, as an occasional consultant or resource, but I was then really uh, on my own. But So there's a time to have a mentor and then there's a time to out, you outgrow your mentor. It's time for you to leave your mentor behind. And that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, every every startup business owner needs one of those people that explains to them that you have to sell something for more than it costs you to make. Um, that's really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I, even after that, even after my dad left, I've always been a, a consensus type of leader. So my team, we try to make our most important decisions by consensus. I don't simply just go order everybody around. Uh, I, occasionally, I've gone against the team. Usually when I've done that, I've been wrong. But for the most part, I've, I really try to get make sure there's total buy-in and that we're all in agreement on the strategy and that, and that, and that we're all aligned together. I found that having that type of, they're not really mentor or coach, but they are um, people I trust. And I trust their judgment and their goodwill. And, and that really does help me and the company from making major mistakes, I think. I um, interviewed uh, uh, any number of business owners recently over the last year that, that had what looked to me at least outwardly like very healthy cultures. The people were really jazzed to be there. And it, it seems like there are a handful of traits that, and I know you talk about them. Uh, you mentioned one, consensus, uh, seems to be uh, rampant in these <laughs> companies or at least a desire for it. Uh, autonomy, in other words, not yeah. you know not the, the typical hierarchy, uh, transparency, trust, integrity. And, um, you know, how do you, how do you necessarily, I mean, is there, are there best practices to necessarily, I mean, it's one thing to have those as beliefs, but are there best practices that you've found that, that really kind of bring those to life? Um, well, I can talk about some of the cultural elements that we find to be fairly consistent with conscious companies. And I mean, is that what you're wanting to know, or are you asking yeah, more no, about no, leadership? I, yeah, well, no, I think that, I think you're on the right track, exactly. Okay. Well, um, again, it depends upon the scale of the organization. And one of Whole Foods' secrets is we've always been fairly decentralized, and we decentralize into geographical regions, and then the stores are are. They're linked together in a region, and they're linked together across the whole company, but they're also 
their individual business units. They have a lot of autonomy. And then within a store, we're organized into about eight to ten teams, like a grocery team, a produce team, meat team. And, and they're also fairly autonomous in the sense that they can, they're self-managing. They make a lot of their own decisions. So they, they do their own hiring. They do a lot of their own merchandising. They make product selections. Uh, and, they, and they are rewarded collectively as a team. When they, when they achieve certain goals, the whole team is rewarded for achieving those goals. Uh, on an equal basis. So what we found is that really empowers the team to be more innovative and creative. And we're a very experimental company, so we allow these teams to try things. And some of them don't work. Maybe even a majority of them don't work. But the ones that don't work, you just shut down. And the ones that do work, you spread. And so we decentralize, we empower, we experiment, that results in innovation and creativity, which helps push the company along. And then we have a culture of collaboration so that the good ideas are not locked up and hidden. They're seen by everyone else. And then the ideas are taken and then they're improved upon in another store. And, uh, and they can spread very rapidly that way. We give an example in the book about our store, one of our stores in Santa Rosa, California, now about four years ago opened up a bar, and they called it a tap room, where they had 16 uh, beers on tap. And they did it right in the beer and wine department. Now, when I first heard about that idea, I thought, that is a really stupid idea. They're opening a bar up in a grocery store, in a supermarket. Who the heck's going to want to go to a bar in a food store? It just doesn't make any sense. They wanted, you, know, you want to have that at a restaurant or a standalone bar, neighborhood bar like Cheers. It turned out, though, it just exploded. And... We saw very quickly, period of time, that little tiny bar in that beer and wine department was doing more sales than the entire seafood department was. <laughs> and then that information, of course, began to circulate through the company. Without any command and control from Austin, Texas, it's, we've now got, gosh, I guess we're probably pushing close to 100 bars now open just four years later. Uh, some states we can't do it in, but some cities won't allow it, but wherever we can, or either retrofitting or new stores are being open, opened up with it, and they're not the same as the original one in Santa Rosa. They've, they've upgraded it. They've improved it. They've tried new things. So that's, that's collaboration. That's experimentation at work. That's innovation at work, and it's also collaboration at work. It allows our company to continue to evolve at a rapid pace. We're never sitting still. We're always trying new things, and we're not punishing people if their ideas don't work, but we are celebrating their successes and spreading them. It's also uh, sampling, I suspect, at, at uh, some level. Just because you've got you've got a couple beers that you can try now, and then uh, and then buy it and take it home. It is probably true that if you've had a couple of beers, you, you <laughs> may you may purchase things not on your list. <laughs> no. I I think it probably also really taps. In. I mean, my my guess is one of the reasons it's been very successful is that first off, they're probably bringing in. Craft beers that, uh, that that people oh, yeah, want, want to try, but but also the, it's adding another sort of community element to to going and hanging out in the store. Yeah, an interesting thing we, we did that I think is very interesting was that originally the first one was set up, you know, selling beer, and it was we thought it would mostly attract guys, right? Big screen TVs, watch football, basketball, baseball games. But what happened is that as the concept evolved, and some of the other stores did it. It's in these very open areas so that you can, it's, it's traffic flows through there. You can see everybody. It's a very safe environment. And the interesting thing began to happen. 
uh, sort of an unintended consequence is that uh, we started, you know, of course, he had wine as well, and we began to see many more women start to show up uh, and meet their friends there. And it's in Whole Foods Market. It's in this marketplace. It's in this well-lit, safe place. It's not in a little seedy bar that you feel trapped in. If a creepy guy comes up, he can't get away from him. Yeah. So what ended up happening was a lot of these uh, bars or tap rooms ended up becoming uh, with a lot more women in it than men. And, of course, as that began to happen, then more men started showing up. Right. So it ended up being very... Uh, almost equal in terms of men and women. And when we started it, we really thought, or when they started it in Santa Rosa, that it was going to be primarily a guy's thing. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it sometimes evolves in unexpected directions. Yeah, that's very cool about trying things. Uh, that's You know, you can do all the market research you want, but <laughs> sometimes you just have to experiment. The best market research is just to get in. I'm an entrepreneur. Get in and try things. Yep. And you test them out on a small scale and then and see what works. And oftentimes... What you think might work uh, doesn't work, but something you hadn't anticipated does work. And that's a, a lot of uh, the best, if you study the history of innovation, a lot of the very best ideas that have ever happened kind of happened accidentally. Uh, they weren't what, what people intended that idea to be. Yeah, uh, yeah and I think so, so often, too, there, there are things that, that just take off and are brilliant that shouldn't work. You know, on paper sometimes, and I think no. that's what really holds people back, yeah. It's really true. Yeah, um, This is probably dangerous uh, because we've covered a lot of really positive, upbeat things. I want to end on a, a more analytical note. Um, one of my favorite, uh, I, I've enjoyed the book immensely. Um, you, you can get it, of course, uh, Conscious Capitalism. You can get uh, anywhere they sell books. I noticed you're you're also promoting it on WholePlanetFoundation.org uh, as well. But um, one of my favorite uh, topics in the book, was something you call systems intelligence or mm-hmm. SYQ. And, and I don't know if I can just lob it over to you and say, you know, maybe explain that concept because I think it's a really important one for a lot of business owners. Um, and, and so I'll just let you, you know, explain that concept. It's probably one of my favorite topics in the book. Sure. Um, first, I'll comment. That I think one of the reasons the Whole Planet Foundation is promoting it is because um, not only are all my royalties being donated to the Whole Planet Foundation or being paid directly to the Whole Planet Foundation. But this, the company itself, Whole Foods Market, when we sell books in our stores, we're not making any money on those books. That's also being donated to the Whole Planet Foundation. So Whole Planet Foundation is very much wants our book to be a bestseller because <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're getting paid for it. Yeah. Um, systems intelligence is basically, uh, think of it, first contrast it with analytical intelligence, which is what IQ tests measure. IQ tests, they are able to see how things divide up. If first year in medical school, the uh, first course that you take is a gross anatomy where you take a cadaver and it's over a whole year period, you sort of slowly uh, dissect that cadaver and you see how the bones fit and the muscles and the blood vessels and, and you, you, you understand it by taking it apart. Well, systems intelligence is kind of the opposite of that it sees relationships that exist between things um, and they see the complexities and the relationships because not only the problem with obviously a cadaver was dead you can't see the fact that there are a hundred trillion cells in a living or in a living body like mine or yours there's a hundred trillion cells which is an unbelievably number of cells and they're all in a sense um, in a healthy person, they're they're cooperating together, right? To to for our lives to be alive is 
this cooperation with all these cells is going on. So there are all these amazing relationships in our bodies between the nervous system and the brain and our hearts and our lungs and our bones and our immune system and, and, and everything that comprises our bodies. It's really quite amazing and astounding. And health, in a way, is having that operate in a harmonious way. So to understand health, you have to understand the relationships that exist between things like what we eat and how that affects us and our exercise and positive thinking and uh, virtues such as forgiveness and generosity and love and how they affect our health and well-being. So systems intelligence is able to see those relationships. In a complex business like Whole Foods Market, uh, the relationships that exist between all the stakeholders, for example, are very important to see. And we talk in the book about how you needed to manage the business or lead the business in terms of the whole business system, that if you try to just optimize one thing, such as, well, we're just going to maximize profits, but you don't understand the relationships that exist between the customers and your employees and your suppliers uh, and the investors, then you'll probably will sub-optimize that system and you will underperform your, your even your economic goals. So the relationships that exist uh, are essential and that type of intelligence I found to be incredibly valuable in business. It's really one of the reasons that I think Whole Foods has been so successful is that 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 we've had the ability to see the system and manage the system so that every part of the business will flourish. Our customers will flourish, our employees will flourish, our suppliers flourish, our investors flourish, and our communities flourish. And I, that's what conscious business is. It's a sense helping all of those to flourish. Well, and I, I think it starts with a mindset, though, right? Because you have, to con- you have to be asking yourself, well, if we do this decision, if we expand here, if we open bars, you know, and sort of, how does that impact everything else? And I think that... That's right. What exactly? How does this affect all the stakeholders? And if it's har- harming a stakeholder, if there's a trade-off, then perhaps it's not the right strategy. You have to come up with another strategy that where it's a win-win-win-win strategy where everybody can win. And if somebody's losing, if someone has to sacrifice, then maybe, maybe you haven't thought hard enough or haven't, haven't been creative enough to come up with the win-win-win strategy. And I like your advice. I mean, talk about looking at other models um, for uh, really an illustration of how this system thinking kind of works. There's a brilliant book uh, that was written by an architect uh, probably 30 years ago called The Timeless Way of Building. I don't know if you're familiar with any. any no. He basically goes about how a community is built and how it impacts, you know, everything from a sidewalk to, you know, where the, the, the auditorium is, you know, how it impacts every piece of the puzzle. And I think it uh, sometimes getting outside of business literature and, and your sort of common industry, I think, is one of the greatest ways to get some experience about things like this system sinking in. John, and what's the name of that book, Timeless? The, the Timeless Way of Building. Timeless way of building. Thank you. I yeah. will check that out. Yeah, yeah it's uh, you, you'll be able to find it somewhere. Like I said, it's been out. You probably have to order it online because it's uh, it's about forty years old, maybe. But uh, it's really a neat book. Well, John, thank you so much. I know you've got a busy schedule, both in uh, in running that little business that you run, <laughs> and, then, and then now as uh, as a, uh, a bookseller out there. So I appreciate you taking the time to to stop by here and uh, really, really. A great book, a great contribution to uh, to really any size business uh, in terms of, of how they can come to, to view and look at their business. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate having me on. Hope you have a great day. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.